A ver, a ver, a ver. Yo pensé que esto era South of the Eight. Anasasi, thank you so much for coming back. Actually, you're an alumni. Uh, this is the second time we're having you on. Uh, you're now our what, Chicano correspondent? You like to call it? Uh, that? <laughs> I hope not. I hope I'm not the the expert. But you know, I I teach what I can, and I I, I just try to keep in mind. You know, there's always going to be someone who is curious about Chicano history, mm -hmm. Chicano studies, and you know, if I'm able to pass on what I've been taught, then, you know, that helps others a lot. Yeah, actually, um, almost right after you were on, we had Beatriz Zamora, which is the author of the um, Spirit of Chicano Park. And we talked a little bit about, um, like, you know, how state never even had a Chicano class. And now, I mean, you're majoring in it, right? So that must have been a huge step. I know it took time and all that. But why is it you think important that someone is able to get a degree on say a study like that like on chicano studies it seems, it seems very niche it seems very specific you know but useful i would say well see yeah that's the thing is like i think it's like to it's considered a niche subject to the majority you know to like mm -hmm. those predominant like in a predominantly white institution it's going to be considered a subject that not many people know a lot about but when we think about what the demographics is in universities and stuff uh, it's increased becoming increasingly hispanic and latino students so that's students that are bringing in this new this their own culture their own traditions their own customs and you know they're just becoming an increasing issue of not seeing themselves in their history and that's just it's not just with chicanos and um latinos it's with all minorities you know like that's why black studies was created that's why asian american studies was created any any of those cultures it's because we want to see ourselves in the history books because we did exist in the history and yeah. you know yeah it wasn't taught to us yeah and a lot of it i mean I, I feel like i say this a lot especially when talking about these sort of topics but representation is important but people don't realize the representation can be I mean, it's obviously big, you know, seeing someone that looks like us on TV or seeing them in our books, but sometimes it's small, right? Just, um, it's little things that get you throughout the day that you're just like, oh, cool. Like, it's not that rare that someone like me can do something like that, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. But uh, we actually have a theme for today. Um, you you actually kind of came up with the idea, which is great because I want I, we've been meaning to do this again, but I feel like it's always themes or, or the topics that sort of stops me from having people back because I'm like, yo, I'm down to talk about whatever. And they're just like, yeah, okay. And then nothing ever happens. But anyway, today's topic, uh, it's going to be Dia de Muertos and Coco, right? Yes. <laughs> We're getting today's <laughs> our, our special edition episode yeah. celebrating Dia de los Muertos and just in time too, because yeah, I was going to say that up. actually pretty perfect timing with it coming up. Um, do you, do you do an, uh, an altar at home? Um, yeah, and that was something that was actually something that I learned through my dance group is that yeah. we, uh, aside from the ceremony that we hold um, celebrating the anniversary of the inception of our dance group, we also have uh, different ceremonies throughout the year, um, one, Dia de los Muertos being one of them. Yeah. And uh, that was where I basically learned the tradition of Dia de los Muertos through there. And we created a ceremony where we build um, an altar. We uh, each member of the dance group brings their 
uh, photos of their loved ones who have passed on and we put them on um, this sort of communal altar and we also create a uh, flower structure and we you know we basically like sing alabanzas um, all night and hoping that their spirits are called to the altar. Yeah, I was going to say, I know um, for those who may only know Dia de Muertos as far as Coco, uh, you know, it is it is almost like a, I mean, it's a tradition, of course, but it's a thing that happens throughout the whole night. Like, I mean, you're there. A lot of people do it at the funeral. Uh, sorry, not the funeral, the cemetery. That'll happen too. But a lot of this, it's a ritual that you're doing throughout the night, right? Like you're really waiting for them to come, you know what I mean? Take the essence of the food and the drink and the atmosphere, which is why I think the movie Coco kind of does it so well. You know, I mean, I hate, I mean, I know it got all the, um, uh, what's it called? It got all, everybody riled up with like skull candies and everything, but there is a deeper meaning. And I feel like a lot of people did appreciate how accurate it was as far as like traditions and beliefs and everything that it comes with it, you know? You know, I was honestly like very impressed with the way that Coco, uh, did a, such a good job at not and i don't think i think this was also pixar too like i'm not just a huge disney fan like i'm a huge pixar fan like i they're so good at adding details into their like not and not just in their animation but they make sure that all of these little objects are seen that's why they have all these like you know easter eggs and there was so many um artifacts and elements of dia de los muertos that i saw in the movie like in the opening credits it pans on, you know, that like little, um, I, I'm pretty sure it's a, a headstone or something, or like uh, an ofrenda, and there was a salmero, which is something that is actually used in um, Aztec dancing. And, you know, also it's part of uh, uh, Mexican indigenous culture, but it's basically kind of like, I, w I would best describe it as like, you know, like a chalice or a goblet, like it's like a cup-ish that it's made of usually like stone or um, some of the other ones are made out of clay, but you put um, charcoal in it and you put copal, which is like basically um, hardened tree sap mm -hmm. and it's um, burned and it creates this white smoke. And mm -hmm. uh, in the Aztec tradition, it is supposed to symbolize the white eagle and the white uh, smoke is what carries the dances and the prayers of uh, the dancers uh, to the sky, to the heavens. Yeah. Well, actually, I mean, Dia de Muertos is an Aztec um, tradition, correct? I mean, it, I know we discussed this a little bit last time, but there is a lot of of uh, native culture that got sort of mixed with like the Catholic culture that is so predominant in Mexico right now, or always has been. But I know that for because oh, I I know I see altares with Santos now. You know what I mean? So it's like. It's a little, it's a collage, really. It's, I mean, what it's evolved into now. But, I mean, it did start from people practicing their own um, traditions, you know, making altares, ancestors, and stuff like that. Because that's, I mean, talking to ancestors like that or waiting for ancestors isn't really in Catholic culture. It's very much a Native thing, right? And that is also, like, you know, like we talked about last time, that that's what Mexican culture is. It encompasses that you know, the mestizaje, that is that um, mm -hmm. blend of indigenous customs with the Spanish Catholic traditions. Mm -hmm. And that is where um, in Dia de los Muertos, we see that a lot because the idea of, you know, um, these spirits coming back, returning to us uh, wherever they are, 
is something that is really in an indigenous belief. It's not something that is seen in Catholicism or in Christianity. And yet we have, you know, the Catholic saints like the Virgen, Santo Niño de Atocha that we mm -hmm. put on, on the, the altars. Yeah. On the altars. Yeah. So it's, it's very much, you know, well, I mean, churches, too. churches will have altares. You know what I mean? Like it's, I mean, you see it even there. So it, it's crazy, but I, it, it's appreciated because it's like, okay, somehow um, they were able to form. Yes. The, you know, Spanish came over and took over, but a lot of it was just kind of, it's like weeds, you know, like as much as you try to dig them out, it just keeps popping up, you know? And that's kind of what's happening with like Aztec culture and indigenous cultures. It just keeps coming back luckily and I, I know that like even Nahuatl and stuff in certain languages are still very predominant in uh in certain areas which is great and i mean it lives through the dances it lives through food i'm sure but could you break down a little bit of what would be an altar because i feel like a lot of people for or <laughs> how could i put this like for some of us we're lucky enough that we have one at home right like i helped my parents build one and and things like that. But some people might be wanting to start one, but don't know how to, or don't know where to start. And then you look at YouTube videos and honestly, I hate when <laughs> you look up a YouTube video on an altar and it's white people making them. Have you seen those? Those make me cringe a little, but. <laughs> make your make your own altar for Dia de los Muertos. Yeah, I'm like, oh no, dude, what are you doing? And it's like the most viewed one too. But <laughs> but that said, um, what would be the basics of, a, of an altar? Let's say if you just have some stuff around the house and you're trying to maybe start getting into the tradition? Well, an altar is also considered to be, it's, some people also call it an ofrenda because mm -hmm. that is essentially what you are giving. It's an offering to the spirits of your loved ones or whoever you choose to um, remember. Mm -hmm. And so you wanna encompass things that not only that person enjoyed in their life, but also, you know, things that are, things that can like contain life which is like for example like why the marigolds are such a huge part of dia de los muertos the sempasochil yeah or in spanish it's sempasuchil but it comes from the nahuatl word sempasochil oh, which is yeah so because yeah. i because i was like looking i was like oh wait obviously that's like the the spanish version of yeah. it but yeah so um that those flowers were used in uh the time of the Aztec empire and they were used for ceremonies uh, surrounding death because the Aztecs, they were, they didn't see so much death as like, you know, like the end all be all there, mm -hmm. there was life after death. There was, whether it was through, you know, becoming a spirit and this was not something that was just an Aztec culture, but in a lot of indigenous practices, there were spirits in nature, you know, there was sun spirits, there was tree spirits and all that. But going back to the ofrenda, like you want to have things that, you know, like are like symbols of life and that, you know, having fresh flowers is a good idea. If you can't find them, then I mean, obviously you can like make some paper mache flowers too. Um, I know that there's like traditional foods to put on an altar, like mole is a big thing to put on an altar, uh, I think enchiladas. But you know, if your family like chilaquiles or you know chicharron like you can put that too um if you had a family member who had a sweet tooth maybe add some candies um i know like my altar always has like a shot of tequila for you know like our loved ones just for them to enjoy enjoy a drink um uh you want to have like three tiers and those three tiers are supposed to symbolize the underworld the present like the earth and the 
uh, heavens, which is where you would put like all the samples and stuff on the top tier. That's interesting. Um, that, that I didn't know. I mean, I, I help build it all the time. But, you know, sometimes even as you talk through it, you don't really break it down like that but oh that's interesting okay so and you know you want to make like be conscious about what you're doing about the energy that you're putting into the mm -hmm. ofrenda you know because this is something that you are presenting to your loved ones you, and um you you want it to be nice and you know if you can't make this elaborate ofrenda that's fine <laughs> you know i just i made one out of a shoebox the other day for <laughs> my chicano art class but it, it came out pretty good i'll probably i'll send you a picture but um it was you know it's you use what you can and that's the it's the thought that you put into it that counts yeah. and you know you obviously like you want to put pictures of your loved ones and yeah yeah so it's um it, like you mentioned i feel like it all has to do with the kind of energy that you're putting into something like this right because if you're doing it as a chore or you're doing it for like say clout <laughs> you know what i mean it, it won't have the same feeling of tradition or or meaning behind it that it would if you're just doing it because you you know, you're actually doing it as an ofrenda. You're, you know, you're, or even as a traditional, like, family tradition thing. Like, I, I feel like energy has a lot to do um, with creating something like this. It also, I mean, obviously, they can be so elaborate, elaborate and beautiful. And you always see pictures of these insane ofrendas. But that said, it shouldn't discourage anyone from just creating what they can at home. You know what I mean? Like, even if it's little and even if it's, you know, it doesn't have, like you mentioned, even if you have to restore things like paper mache, it's fine. I mean, you're trying and. It's the thought that counts, right? And you also, like, if you have younger siblings or if you have kids, like, you know, this is something that is important to get them involved in, you know, like, just yeah. to teach them, like, okay, this was your deal. This was your great-grandfather, and this is who they were. That's the, basically, that's one of the important things of Dia de los Muertos is that we are passing on these traditions and these memories of the uh, loved ones who have passed on to our younger generations and so if i really think it's good to encourage families to get the younger kids to get involved into this and you know like preparing the altar because they're not only learning about their ancestors they are practicing the traditions of dia de los muertos and they are actively participating in it you know yeah actually i feel like again coco did such a good job about expressing you know what, for a lot of us really comes down to why we do the ofrendas. I feel like when I do it with my family, you know, we start pulling out the pictures and, you know, we comment on the picture. I'm like, oh, look, this picture with so-and-so and this picture with them. And you kind of just start having conversation with them, right? And I have a kid and I have a little sister and they're there and they're like, who are these people? You know, so we tell them a little bit about it and the movie handled it so well. I mean, obviously they used it for like climax of the movie. Like you have to remember or else kind of way, which I mean, it's a movie. I get it. They have to have like a third act, but in a way they did bring up the fact that it's how we tell stories, right? It's how we keep people's memories alive. Um, I mean, I see pictures all the time of people in the, my parents altar that I don't personally know, but I know their story because we build out that and because we talk to about them sometimes throughout the year, we're busy and we don't get to, but the altar is a great, way to just sort of remember the people we've lost you know and you know how much they meant to us and stuff like that so i think for that reason alone it's so important you know to keep it alive really and i you know i think that coco did a good job well disney all usually does a good job of introducing these themes and these mm -hmm. values to kids like in a way that they can consume it and understand it like coco it was all about family it was all about you know the importance of remembering 
those who have gone before you where and you come from. It, yeah. It, yeah, where you come from and why, and why that's important. And, you know, like that was the thing that Miguel saw. He, he felt like he was different from his family when he realized that his great grandfather was yeah, actually someone yeah. was a musician and he identified with that. And so, you know, like if we teach our kids like, Oh, like you're, uh, grandfather was really good a really good artist and you like art too you know you guys have that connection I think that's yeah. important and that's special for a kid to have in their life yeah and again like you mentioned Disney does, does such a good job um, doing those sort of things I mean I know from my understanding they did do a lot of the research and they you know they um, convivieron mucho con la gente uh, I believe it was in Oaxaca I know that a lot of the colorful stuff they got from Guanajuato which um which is beautiful but you know they really did the research i feel like they really i mean the, the perfect example the the way you know they did the research is the abuela right the chancla like and like you're like okay the chancla it's a meme now like you can find that online but no dude tell me looking at that abuela didn't just give you like goosebumps like it's too <laughs> it's too good you know what i mean it's very spot on i had i've had grandma uh, i have two grandmas right but i've had moments like that with my grandma where they're just chasing me down and i'm just like oh my god yeah like that's Yep, that, that looks like me, you know? So there's always those kids that do exactly what they're told not to do, and then they're just being chased down. But I don't know. I feel like, again, Disney killed it. They knocked it out of the park. Um, besides the fact that they tried to t trademark the name Dia de Muertos, besides that, yeah. I'm pretty happy with, uh, with the way Coco came out, for sure. And, you know, I think, again, like, I agree with you that Disney did their research, and they went to act these towns, and, you know, they under tried to understand what the tradition of Dia de Muertos is and you know they actually incorporated the towns into their animation like mm -hmm. when you see like the whole like land of the dead like that was based on towns in Guanajuato and yeah. Tasco and stuff like they they did their research For sure, yeah. the and okay I this is where I kind of like have like iffiness of it and yet yeah. This is like, I'm gonna preface this, of course, like I loved Coco, like the last 30 minutes of it, I was just like a mess. I was in tears because I was like, <laughs> oh my God, good, yeah. it, was, it was like, and you know, we prior to that, we never really had a movie that like showed, like not just like what- well, Book of Life. I was actually gonna bring okay, that up. Okay, okay, that's you true. Ever watch never mind. That I take it back. Yes, I take it back. You know what? But, but Cause, I- Because Book of Life is really good. I was gonna say, I like Book of Life, but it is super Americanized. Like even the songs that they sing, like parody in the movie are American songs. Like they're hip hop songs. So it's like, okay, like, yes, but it wasn't quite there yet. And I feel like Coco just knocked that out of the park, you know? But so anyway, sorry, you were saying? Well, I agree. Like, I think, like they, again, like they're two completely different stories, but yeah. I like how they had, you know, that like elements of like, oh, um, the woman symbolizing death and then the guy like, with yeah. like, I forgot what the character. I need to rewatch that movie. But anyways, um, I, the issue that I have with Disney, and I say this as an annual pass holder, <laughs> but like the issue that I have with Disney is they're giving their credit where the credit is due. You know, like I was like I was curious as to see like how they credited the towns and the people mm -hmm. and of course it's all the way at the end of the credits you know like after the people left the theater you know like by the way thank you to all of these institutions and stuff and it wasn't just these towns that they went to they consulted with the Museo de Antropología which is in um, Ciudad de México so a lot of like legit organization right. but 
I just like, I kind of, I, this is where I'm conflicted because on one hand they made this movie and yes, they included all of these, um, not just Mexican references, but they included Mexican actors. They, you know, they added like elements. Like, yeah, from my understanding, the music was played in Mexico City. You know, all the mariachi yeah. stuff and, and orchestral things were played with the Sinfonica from Mexico, I'm pretty sure. But yeah, you know, I totally understand what you mean. I feel like, yes, um, they acknowledge them all the way to the end. But like, I feel like everybody thinks, oh, Coco, yeah, Pixar killed it. But it's like, and I actually just said that a couple of minutes ago too. But it, I mean, it was a collaborative thing, right? I mean, it took a lot of people to make it what it is, right? And, and we can't just be like, okay, Coco came out, we're done. No. You know, there, there's not <laughs> yeah. going to be a wall. Racism yeah. is over. Like, we fixed that's, it. We killed we it. Fi- yeah. yeah, that's, it's not, that's not, it's definitely not the end. But so the town that they went to, that they based off of and I like low-key did my research was um uh called Santa Fe de la Laguna which is in Quiroga Michoacan and it is actually a town that is predominantly Purepecha which is an indigenous uh tribe um and the woman that was based on Coco her name was Maria Salud Ramirez Caballero I think she's still alive. She's like 105 years old but and, (laughs) and they did like the um the feature on her and everything and you know they have like all these news stories going and she says oh I don't want any money or recognition and it's like okay but you know like where's the compensation to like the town you know for like their time where's the you know I I think like with all the resources that Disney has they could do a whole documentary on you know like all of these indigenous if they really wanted to make like a a story that is telling of the actual people you know you you would use what you can to tell that story and yes they did that with Coco but at the same time you know like when you consider the fact that this woman came from a town that is predominantly indigenous that's kind of like steering very close to like indigenous erasure yeah because it's like we're not Uh, recognizing these people yeah yeah that's yeah unfortunate yeah well (laughs) it's, it's actually a great point that you bring up because I feel like it'll happen a lot of times too when you see like Mexican TV, right? So you're seeing things like Altares and Oi, it's a huge, O Venga La Alegría and all these things, but it's done by white Mexicans, right? They're not giving the credit to the native people that gave them these traditions. It's like, yay, look at me, I'm Mexican and I drink tequila and I love Pan de Muerto. But it's like, yeah, dude, but like, you're not giving the credit what credit is due. And I feel like that's kind of what you're talking about, right? Like it's, it comes down to where originated from. And I mean, I, again, I love Coco, but you're right. There isn't any representation or mentioning of indigenous people in the movie. Right. I mean, yes, the character is a little browner than usual, but it's not enough. You know, especially given that Mexico is so diverse. Michoacán itself is so diverse. My family comes from Michoacán, my dad's side. And, you know, my, um, my dad's, um, they have 11 brothers and sisters. So it's 11 in total plus my grandma and my grandpa at the time they were living, they're all different. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, it, there's so much, so much diversity in, in a place like Michoacan. And, you know, like you mentioned, it's unfortunate that they haven't given the credit that they deserve. So in the perfect world, what would you say would be the best thing? I know you mentioned the documentary, but even then, like Disney would just be making the money off of that too. So what would be a good way that you're like, okay, this is gives them their place. I mean, in a perfect world, I, that's kind of like my 
because we're not considering just how this is going to be received by, you know, by Mexican and Latino people. We're interested in how this is going to be received by, you know, the mainstream, like by the white audience. And, you know, like it's, and we want to teach them like, no, oh, this isn't just like this, like anime, like there is a tradition behind it. And I, I just think that that's something that Disney could do. Like, I know they're not going to go out, like, writing checks to people. <laughs> like, yeah. for, but I mean, per- like... Perfect world, that would be the answer, right? They just make everybody rich. Yeah. Or, or you know, just, like, we... I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard because at the same time, you know, I don't want to leave it up to, like, these big institutions. Like, for example, like, I was just looking at their the director when they won Best Animated Feature at the Oscars, and he did give a little shout-out to the people of Mexico thank you yeah. for sharing your beautiful and traditional <laughs> culture with us yeah. and I'm just like okay but at the same time the Oscars should be you know the standard because all of these award shows have discounted yeah. people of color for years and years and years and so we shouldn't consider that the standard at all yeah well but, it's interesting how people hate on the Oscar so much but if someone gets an Oscar or they're like oh this has to get the Oscar so like it's still a point of reference like it's still a bar to meet despite the fact that everybody knows you know there, there's so much obvious bias and some movies are created specifically for an oscar you know what i mean so it's just i don't know it, it's same with pixar uh like disney in general like i i'm gonna be honest i'm not an annual pass holder <laughs> i mean i've been a couple times it's fun you know i can't wait to take my kid sure but I mean, you know, when you start looking at how it monopolizes things and, you know, some of the things, shady things it tries to do, yeah, Disney gets a little scared, you know, but that's why just because they created something like Coco doesn't mean, oh, look at that, Disney isn't racist. Anyway, so back to Book of Life and the differences between, like, say, Book of Life um, and Coco, right? Obviously, Coco, I mean, Pixar, they're just, they're Pixar, right? So they do everything they do right. And um, they were going for the more wholesome thing. I feel like, Book of Life tried to catch your laughter. Like it was maybe even more, a more adult, um, really. I don't know. I think you mentioned you haven't seen it in a while. Good movie. And if no one's seen it, if anyone doesn't know what I'm talking about, look up Book of Life. Great soundtrack. Great movie. And they actually predated Coco. And it actually kind yeah. of, it's kind of a better vo- version. So it makes me think that some of the ideas were stolen. I know it's based on the same thing, the Muertos. So there's only so much you can work with, but a lot of things were borrowed. I feel like um, I think DreamWorks is the one that made um, Book of Life. But anyway, that said, um, is there some things uh, that, from what you remember, from the differences that you, you maybe think that Coco could have done better? I know it's a great movie, but is there anything besides obviously the indigenous representation that you think Coco could have done or forgot to do as far as um, Dia de Muertos? Hmm. I mean. Like I said, I think they did a really good job of incorporating all those little details and everything like that. Um, I think they could have definitely gone into like, this is what this means and this is what this means. But oh. that's just, that just wasn't really what the movie was about. Like they, they, the, yes, it was around like the other Los Muertos, like tonight's about family. Like we have this ofrenda, this is what mm. this, the ofrenda means, but you know, the story really revolved around Miguel and Miguel, you know, trying to that relationship that he was trying to find outside of his family. And he does go back realizing that, you know, this is important. And this is but um, going back to the book of life, like one thing that I really did, like, 
I, it's definitely like a little bit spookier and I think maybe that yeah. was like a little bit like with the animation and stuff but it yeah. had you know those elements of like I you know agree. like a, but in a cool way it was spooky yeah but it was kind of like oh wow like and again like Pixar is just more colorful more wholesome more I mean you saw the moment he went over the um the Simpasuchi bridge and I remember watching this as a trailer I remember being in my parents house after work and it had just come out like on Twitter or something and I saw the trailer in it, like, it literally brought tears to my eyes. I was like, oh, my God, this looks fucking beautiful. Like, I can't believe they're gonna be, there's going to be a story like this told. And I remember being super excited for the movie. And I was, I mean, rightly so, it was such a great movie. But, you know, just seeing that, um, obviously, it's so much more colorful. But yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, I wish would have been maybe a little more creepy. But, uh, like you mentioned, it's a, more of a coming-of-age story, really, or like a, like a Miguel story, like him having this sort of existential crisis and you know who am i going to become that's also kind of scary and kind of a big theme for kids but i feel like i'm sure as they mentioned in the movie i'm sure it happens to a lot of kids i mean we kind of just look over the fact that th this kid is working like he's shining shoes and he, and he gets like <laughs> yelled at for it but he's a kid like i think he's what like 10 in the movie mm -hmm. and they're like what are you doing over there you should be working over there or it's like hey guess what now you're gonna work in the shop and it's just perfectly accepted, but it's just the reality that a lot of people in those cultures um, put up with. You know what I mean? Like, I remember my parents tell me that very, very young, they're working, you know, and a lot of us are lucky enough that we, you know, we don't have to do that. <laughs> we just, you know, grow up and start working when we're 16 or 18 or whatever. But yeah, I mean, I hear the stories from my parents and they've all had family businesses where, yeah, like 10 year olds, eight year olds are helping this and they're helping with that. And it's crazy. And again, it's something that we just sort of, look over you know like it sucks that a kid has to be put through that um that sort of decision like should i be a musician or should, should i just play music and have a childhood or should i just worry about my responsibilities to my family as a shoemaker like that's a that's a big question to pawn on a 10 year old i feel like but yeah, again but that also realistic. stems back to yeah that also stems back to the you know just the traditional like mexican and latino culture of you know family of like yeah. the value of family True. like i mean we have we stay like we're in our 20s and we still live with our parents you know i'm not saying us but like i say like yeah. <laughs> in general yeah. uh, but like you know like that's something that's not it's very common you know like whereas mm -hmm. like in a in a white family like they're gonna leave and move out of the house and soon and we just don't see that and i think that that's just because we have like, you know, that those strong family values and we have our family to fall back on. Yeah. Which I also think is very, um, it's a very Catholic thing too. Mexican, but Catholic, because I have um, friends that are Italian and he said the same thing. He was like, yeah, man, me and my cousins, like we didn't leave our house for like a while. It's just, it's just a thing that happens, you know, big families, big um, um, family values. And, you know, and again, <laughs> I've, I've, told uh talk to my friends because a couple of them this year moved out of their house and i remember them saying like my parents just kept telling me why why am i leaving and they almost made a case to them like i'm like yeah i guess it is true like if i leave i'm gonna spend my own money and i'm like no get out of your house i i'm a big proponent to leaving your house but i understand why you'd want to stay you know what i mean that said i do spend a lot of time at my parents house i i'm there eating almost every day day so it's pretty much like i live with them but still yeah, no, I, I totally get what you mean. I feel like it's just part of our culture. But, you know, I mean, there's a lot to our culture. I feel like that has just become almost like mainstream for the most part, right? Like uh, we've also embraced uh, things like music. I feel like 
uh, as someone in your, let's say, high school times when you're just finding out about music, one thing I always loved was that, yes, you're finding about cool music on the radio, but then you also have this entire catalog that your family's teaching you. Someone not too long ago to, uh, uh, commented on Dogface. I don't know the guy, the Cholo guy that's like cruising on with a the cranberry juice, yeah. the cranberry juice. People were like, oh my God, I can't believe you guys didn't know who Fleetwood Mac is. I'm like, dude, people didn't grow up with Fleetwood Mac. Like, hell, people didn't grow up with the Beatles or, or things like that, you know? Because they were listening to Cumbias and they were listening to Vicente. So, yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's another reason I love the culture that I have because it just opened up so many options for me, you know what I mean? Well, I think that's also where we see the distinction between Mexican-American people and Chicanos because Chicanos, people who, you know, grew up like like how I said before, my parents were born in the United States. And so they were listening to the music of their time and the yeah yeah, american music like i grew up listening to motown listening to hard rock my mom loves everything basically our magic (laughs) 92.5 it's like it's like what my mom loves and you know like that's something that we did like grow up listening to so it is that that difference you know that that we have but you can still be chicano like yeah well yeah we were having this uh existential conversation last time because i don't know what i am i really don't because i guess i'm mexican-american but someone told me that you would have had to grow up in mexico and then come here to be be mexican-american so like newly introduced to say um like american culture and then chicano is someone that's like second or third generation or down the line so then i'm like i'm neither because i was born in the u.s and then i was a border kid so it's like grew up half my life in tj half my life here so it's just weird. You know what I mean? I'm in this weird point where I'm just kind of both. I don't know. Or neither. And I know they're not mutually exclusive or anything like that. But it's just, again, it adds to a lot of the anxiety that I feel like some of us have. Because you're like, I don't know what the hell I am. Like, And then you just try to choose. And then you feel guilty for choosing. You know? But uh, I don't know. Uh, hopefully I can figure it out someday. But <laughs> Well, I believe you are what you say you are. You know, if you feel like you identify more as Chicano than you are Chicano. And this is sometimes where, like, the discussion about, you know, are you Hispanic? Are you Latino? Like, that comes about, too. It's like, there's people who have an issue, don't have any problem with being called Hispanic. It's usually the... Some people do. uh, And there's some people that, yeah, like, I I personally, like, I don't care for it. I don't care for Hispanic. Like, I know that Hispanic was a term that was created by Richard Nixon in the 1970s (laughs) for the U.S. Census. He's like, oh, what are we going to call this... uh, this group of yeah this demographic of spanish-speaking people it's hispanic and you know like not all people identify as latino because you know there's people that speak spanish that are not in latin american countries you know mm-hmm. like if or they're the like the way around there's people that are in latin america that don't speak spanish exactly so it's basically i think call yourself what you want you know mm-hmm. that's that's what's going to make you feel comfortable with your self-identity yeah then feel free to do so yeah because a lot of times like um and i think we mentioned again this a little bit last time but a lot of times you know you may be surrounded by people that are a certain way but then you that's when it becomes a little hard to define yourself because it's like okay i think i'm this but then you look around and they're like but no 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 one else is so am i really and then you just feel kind of like a farce that happened to me a lot when i was like really enjoying Chicano culture because i was i was in my own way really um uh kind of really getting involved and 
you know, like loving the music and loving the, uh, uh, the aesthetic of it. And it just felt right. You know, I liked it. It felt right. But then I kind of looked around and I was like, oh, wait, am I the, like the only one? Like, um, I thought we were all this. And I remember bringing it up to a couple of friends and they're like, oh, no, I'm not. No, I'm not Chicano. I'm, I'm Mexican. And I was like, oh, fuck. But we have like the same background. So what does that make me? So it's just a scary loophole or not loophole. Sorry. This scary cycle of just kind of not knowing where you, you know, your place in the world. But again, like you mentioned, I guess it's good advice to just be like, you know, you are what you want to be and just call it that. Yeah. And, you know, that negative connotation of Chicanismo, um, you know, when it comes to Mexican culture, when people are like, oh, no, I'm not Chicano, I'm Mexican. That stems back from, you know, the early 20th century when mm-hmm. uh, there was that attempt at like erasure, like Mexican families who lived in the United States, they were afraid of assimilating, you know, like they were afraid of losing their culture. And it, but it just so happened that there were kids that were born in the United States, you know, that just happened to be Mexican, but you know, they were also listening to rock and roll. They were listening to basically all the Richie Valens, like they're of the, of the United States. That's also kind of interesting because at the end of the day, you're still, I mean, you know, culture evolves. Um, but I feel like in a lot of generations that'll happen too, because even, even if it's not racial, people think like, oh, my customs, my things are being erased and that's going to be scary, you know? And especially when you're somewhere that you don't know, uh, with people you don't know, you know, so far away from your family, I can understand why a lot of first generations, you know, would just held on to what they have. So, so much, you know, and uh, it's, it's good because a lot of it survived up to this day. I mean, I know LA has obviously a huge uh, Chicano Latino culture and it's mostly because people held on to that, right? And refused to assimilate. Despite, you know, potential uh like um cultural persecution. Persecution. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Despite cultural persecution, um, you know what I mean? Because they would have been fine. I mean they probably it would have been easier, quote unquote easier for them to just completely forget about the culture. And a lot of times it did happen. That's why a lot of people don't speak Spanish because they were it was just shunned down, you know, but that's why I, I honestly, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest. I do have so much more sympathy for like pochos now. I mean, even that term seems kind of a shitty thing to say, but I understand like, it's not your fault. Like it's just, you know, there's just a lot of things that go into it and you're just a symptom of it. Like you're the fact that you don't speak Spanish is just a symptom, symptom of a bigger problem. I think is what I'm trying to say. But, yeah. The problem is, is that when those pochos try to put down, those the ones who are actually embracing the, their culture right and right, you know right. like this is where like all the latinos for trump come out and it's oh, like dude geez. like that is hilarious to me i think or like uh, mexican americans for trump those those make me crack up because i'm just like come on man come on like i don't know i, I you can believe in whatever you want i i do believe that your identity in this i feel like the democrats have a lot of issue with this with like the black vote. The Democrats don't own the black vote, just like they don't own the Mexican vote and or any minority vote for that matter. That said, when you have someone that's obviously uh, that racist, it's just hard to, um, and it's funny, I know Joe Biden, I think in the last debate mentioned like, oh, you're the most racist president. It's like, oh, come on. Like, <laughs> maybe most like blatantly racist president, but let's be honest, like racism, there's always been an issue. Like, let's not, let's not make it a now problem. 
you know, because a lot of people tend to forget that this is like things like the crime bill, things like the prohibition of marijuana are all things based off of pretty much racism, right? And, you know, I, this is something I don't like that people who are conservative or Republican say, it's like, well, you're voting for someone who's a Democrat. It's like, we're very well aware yeah. that these two political parties are two wings to the same bird. Yeah, there's bullshit. Like, like, yes, yeah. but if we had to choose two, yeah. like we, we know very well that there are plenty of white liberals that are also racist, but on this side, it's like, I'm not going to walk into a Klan rally and ask for health care, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like that that's literally what, what we're dealing with. It's it, but it is like, crazy, yeah. It's it's about who can we push closer to our agenda, to something that will benefit us, people of marginalized communities. And right now it's the Democratic Party. Yeah. Well the but Democratic anyway. Party is huge. Like the fact that like things like Bernie and AOC would not be in the same party as Biden and Harris in any other country. They'd be a separate party because in other countries two-party systems aren't as prominent, you know? I mean, sometimes you have the one-party system, like Mexico for a long time had the PRI. So for 50 years, PRI was it. Like people voted PRI and that's what they stuck with. But in the last couple of years, and I believe the last couple, almost 10 years, it's been so that there's four or five major parties that actually even make it to the presidency, you know? So it's kind of a big deal. And I, it's a shame. It really is a shame that the U.S. really only gives us two options. And they're both shit. Like they're both shit. And then, They've been for a while. And yeah, it's easier to point a finger now at someone like Trump and being like, look, that's obviously the problem. But if you look a couple of years back, you know, when people weren't being overtly racist and they were just doing it on the down low and with policies and things like that, that's when uh, lines really start to blur. And that's why people don't want to vote. It's the, you know, it's people being scared or being like ap apathetic and thinking like, well, what does it fucking matter? But it matters, you know? Yeah, it's it's a huge problem. We're too big of a country to have two choices yeah. on the ballot, two of the biggest choices. Yeah. And, the, you know, as far as politics goes, when it comes to conservative, uh, conservatism, I don't know, and liberalism, like those, those are yeah. conservatism and liberalism. Those are two, <laughs> I, probably... <laughs> There, there's a huge spectrum, you know, like I, I'm, I, there's probably some policies that I could agree with, with some Republicans oh, and yeah. just the same way, like, you know, like we just have, but right now it's pretty yeah. clear where, where we got to vote. If you're, if you're going to be affected like this is, and you know, like I can't tell people like, oh, you have to vote, you know, like, because that's your choice. That's ultimately your choice. I think people have to find it for themselves. Why? vote if they want to vote why it matters to them and why you know like there's people who can't vote you know there's plenty of undocumented people who can't vote there's you know reformed convicts that still don't have the right to vote in a lot of states yeah people with disabilities that are still seen as incapacitated to submit to their vote, vote. Yeah. it's so it's like really like you're not just voting for yourself but you're voting so people have who don't have a voice yeah have that voice. And it's crazy because a lot of people think voting and they think the president, right? And this is something that I feel like people don't realize that the best change you can do is in your local precincts. Like if you really want to see change, if you really want to see something happen about the pothole that's been there for 10 years, you got to vote local and you have to not just vote, but be involved and know who you're voting for. And, you know, and I get it. It's tedious and, and it's, 
kind of um, to me it's a little bit of a pet peeve but pe when people say like oh i'm not into politics or why does everything have to be about politics it's like because everything is politics like everything you can possibly complain about it's gonna be politics right so you don't make enough money what could it be could it be because maybe the living wage is so low but the expense of living is so high that has to do with politics you know or covid uh, unfortunately it's become political right like every issue that you can find within your circle there probably has to do with some form of politics or some conversation that has to be had so i don't know i want to think that our generation isn't that apathetic but i do get disappointed every once in a while where i'm just like really like this is like being involved is still an issue like i thought we were all in the same you know i thought we all posted the black squares i thought we were cool that we were down what happened oh, you know? don't even get me started on those <laughs> black squares man. but that's what i'm talking about like it's that like um performative activism that it gets me so fucking riled up where it's like dude you gotta walk the walk man you can't just and it, i'm not talking about just like going out and protest which i i completely agree that it's important but it's like you want your voice to be heard this is one of the things that does that you know but i don't know and that is the south of the eight podcast word of the day or phrase of the day performative <laughs> activism performative i was activism. literally i was literally gonna bring that up when going back to coco you know like yeah. what having that little shout out in the oscars acceptance speech that's performative yeah, activism, activism yeah. if we were gonna really do something they were going to they should contribute to those communities that they are taking in knowledge from they're taking tradition and culture from yeah. that that is where that difference lies and you know that's the same thing with our local elections it's just it's like you just gotta be about it you know like you can't just say like oh i'm gonna post this black square and not do anything else Fix you know like world. see see what see where people need help and you know that happens a lot in city of san diego san diego has a huge homeless problem we have a huge hunger problem you know like find organizations that are helping these communities and a lot of it's like we can't build better communities until we fix them you know yeah yeah it's it's a shame especially when again people say they care and i believe they do care but i don't know if it's la hueva or what it is but there's always an excuse as to why um why they won't vote or why they don't want to get involved and i get it like you know, some of us are a little more in the deep end because whether we find it more interesting, I will say, like, I understand that I am into politics, not just because I'm a, an amazing person, but because I find it interesting. You know, like, I really do get, like, it's almost entertainment to me, like, to look at the debates and to look at videos analyzing this and analyzing that. To me, it is interesting. So I understand that if someone doesn't find it as, it's like health. I know things are healthy for me, but because I don't find them interesting, I'm, you know, I'm not eating multivitamins and going to the gym every day. So that I understand. That said, I think it's beyond that at this point. Like we're beyond liking politics. You know, we, we just have to do something about it. But again, like you said, you can't tell people to vote. I mean, you can, but I don't know. It's hard. It really is hard. I just, please. Okay, I'm not gonna, I said before I was not gonna tell people to vote, but yeah. please vote. If you can vote, if you're registered Please. to vote. I think it's important to vote for those who can't. You know, I have family that can't vote, you know, that would be affected by things that, things that are going to happen with the following election. So I vote for them. You know, I vote for them. I vote for my kid. You know, I vote for myself. Um, whatever reason it is, just go out and vote. 
you know? And I feel like a lot of people get carried away with polls, right? And they're like, why vote? Look at Biden. Like, he's obviously doing great. But I don't know, man. That's what they said about 2016, and this motherfucker won. <laughs> so just, just go out and vote. That's all I'm saying. I vote just to ensure that I still can vote because, yeah. you know, like, Democracy. God forbid, like, if the worst case scenario, like, we already, we're already seeing these instances of voter suppression all around the country, you know, like, there's districts. Yeah and counties that only have one polling location and people are expected to go out and vote in the middle of a pandemic, you know, like it's just there. Uh, there's it's a lot. Bonkers. Yeah. But anyway, on that very sad and sour note, <laughs> Anastasi, thank you so much for doing this again. It's been a lot of fun. Um, and I hope we keep coming up with themes, man. Yeah. You're just our, you're going to be our culture correspondent. How's that? Not even kind of just culture. I love it culture correspondent um again thanks it was it was a lot of fun having you on